In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. One unfortunate side effect of being a Christian is that we get a pretty bad taste in our mouth about the Pharisees, which is really unfair to them, because just like priests today, the overwhelming majority of them were very good and faithful people, whose reputation was marred by a few bad examples. The name Pharisee comes from a term that means to be set apart. So essentially, the Pharisees were recognized as a class of Jews who were set apart from the wider community in an intentional way, particularly because they were the strict observers of the law and the prophets. So they weren't consecrated persons like we would think of religious, like sisters today, Um, but there was a similar principle, that these people were respected as models for the laity, as uh, to model faithful devotion to the law and to God. And their authority was legitimate, right? Christ tells that in the gospel this morning by encouraging the public to heed the words of the Pharisees. They sit on the chair of Moses, says the Lord. So this means that their authority to teach was seen as a direct succession of that of Moses himself, in a similar way to how we honor the apostolic succession among the bishops and the church. So why does Christ always seem to be singling them out, running against them? It wasn't a sin that they enforced the law. That's important for us to get, right? So a lot of times we think the law must have been this awful thing, right? But we forget that God gave the law to the Jews, right? There's five books of the Old Testament devoted solely to the law, right? So that's not a sin. But they enforced it harshly while not observing the law themselves. So the sin was hypocrisy, which in their case was made even worse because it was precisely them who were meant to be the model of the law, the model of charity. And while we may be quick to point out the sin of the Pharisees, in our own society, we all tend to fall into the same rut. All of us are like the Pharisees sometimes, judging others, gossiping about them, or we're like the scribes. We interpret God's word, right? We quote scripture at people, Or we think to ourselves, they must be awful people because they did this thing. Telling people they're not living good Christian lives, and then we go about and do the same thing ourselves. So there's no fault in telling people the truth. It's a good thing that we will tell people when they're needing to convert. But the fault was in the approach of the Pharisees. It wasn't being done out of love. There was truth, but there wasn't charity. And this is a struggle for all of us because it's easy to sometimes slip into this mentality that religion is just the same thing as following a list of do's and don'ts. Something I hear as a priest a lot is some form of the phrase, I think I'm a good person, and so on and so forth. I missed a few masses, but I think I'm a good person. I got drunk last weekend, but I think I'm a good person. I don't really ever pray, but I think I'm a good person. And maybe they are, right? I mean, it's not my place to say if someone is good or not. But just being a good person, just following the rules, isn't the same as living the faith. It isn't the same as being a man or woman of charity. Now, the other dangerous extreme, of course, is to think that as long as you are nice to people and love everyone, that it doesn't really matter if you follow the commandments or go to Mass or do the churchy things that Christians do. See, the problem with that is that being a nice person isn't a particularly unique part about being a Christian. 
there are a lot of very nice people who are not Christian out there as well. So if we're looking to define a Christian, we don't just mean someone who follows the commandments. We don't just mean someone who's nice to everyone, someone who shows up to Mass, right? We mean a person of authentic compassion, a man or woman of virtue, or at least someone who's striving after virtue, after love. And it's in this understanding of the expression of love that the commandments, in fact, actually come alive and make sense to us. So let's think of one commandment today. We'll make it easy. We're going to go with the first commandment. It's the worship God. Now, we as Christians principally do that in the Mass. Now, we can approach that commandment, as most Catholics do, with the sense that you're required to go to Mass because it's commanded that you worship. But if you approach the commandment that way, you're also likely to fall into the pattern of hoping Mass will be short, complaining when it's not, choosing your Mass times to fit your social schedule, not actually participating in the Mass, spending all the time in church thinking about your lunch, your golf game, when you're going to get to the camp, the list could go on and on. Going to Mass simply because you're required is the way the Pharisees would do it. That's how they would approach this commandment. The law is there, and it's good to follow the law, but you're not following it out of love. So let's consider the same commandment from the vantage point of love, principally a love of God. No longer is coming to Mass just an obligation. You're coming to Mass because you love God. And you realize that you're offering God the very thing he asked you to do and the very thing he provided for you to give him, right? His only son sacrificed on the cross. It doesn't matter anymore if Mass is an hour or if it's an hour and ten minutes because there is nothing else on your Sunday that's of higher priority to you. It doesn't mean you're going to skip your lunch, but it does mean that your lunch plans are dependent on the Mass and not the other way around. Or maybe even more, it should be dependent on when you finish praying and offering thanksgiving after Mass, as the Church encouraged you to do. When the Holy Day of Obligation comes up like it did this past week, you aren't looking for an excuse to miss. You aren't upset that you have to add this extra hour into your schedule during the week. You're looking forward to it. A way to celebrate the way that God has loved you, particularly through whatever mystery that feast is celebrating. And if you can observe all of the commandments this way, not out of obligation and out of love, then you're well on way to being a good Christian. I remember an Episcopalian priest telling me once that she thought it was strange that the Christmas midnight mass was actually at midnight because she said, I don't think God is keeping score. Well, he's not. But at the same time, there is something loving in desiring to celebrate the nativity of Christ at midnight at the precise moment that the calendar turns from December 24th to December 25th, and it becomes the birthday of the Lord. So this Sunday, the Church is calling us to reflect not on what we're expected to do, but on how we're actually doing it. How good are we actually doing at being Christians? Is our approach to our faith one that sees the Church as a list of rules and guidelines, or do we understand that the heart of the faith isn't a rule book, but a person, Jesus Christ the Lord. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.